0: All right, so the section that we're going over here today is called Bereshit, which covers Genesis 1 through the first part of chapter 6, uh, verse 8 of chapter 6 in Genesis. And we picked up Isaiah 42, verse 5 through 43, 10, and also John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Now, one of the things that we're talking about here is that it's called In the Beginning, So, some of the key things that we can really ask, especially in times like this, when it seems like everybody is at each other's throats, both within our own families, within our own friends, within our own communities, within our own country, between countries, been talking about assaults upon Israel, and Israel doing assaults on the people who were assaulting her. So all of these things going on and we are can be just completely dismayed and in despair about all the things that are going on over the hatred violence the lies the corruption the confusion the disease the death that grips this planet you know there was once it was put in the words of a uh, philosopher novelist and you know he was saying and put in the words of one of his characters that's he was seeing the survey of an army coming against him, and he said, so much death. Why could you have this in the hearts of men, such reckless hate? Such reckless hate. And that was someone who had experienced World War I, which if you've ever seen any of the footage that we have from World War I or the accounts of World War I, it was just a destroyed, Entire generations of England, of Germany, of France, and the nations that were involved in it, even to a certain degree, of Russia, of uh, the nations that were involved. Uh, yes, uh, Piran.
1: Um, it reminds me of when um, Cain and Abel, and he said, "Your brother's blood," and it's translated inadequately. Actually, the word is "bloods," yeah, because it was all his lineage that would never happen. So like yeah. he was annihilating a whole line of people.
0: Yeah. It's it's one of those those fun, interesting things that you have in Hebrew with some words that are pretty much often rendered almost exclusively in the plural. And blood is one of those. Water is another one. Like where you're seeing where are talking about water here in the Genesis chapter one and such as Shemaim. You know, you have the heavens, that's another one that's plural all the time. So, mayim, shamayim, the, this, this interesting picture of things into the plural. So, yes, bloods, and it's very also interesting you picked that up. Hopefully, there should be something ringing in the back of your head. Where have I heard this before? Blood crying up from the ground. Bingo! Crying out from under the altar. And what was that blood? Blood of the saints crying out what? How long, how long are you going to let this go on? And what was the response from heaven there in Revelation? He clothed them with robes a little while longer. Yes. And the rest of your brethren will join you. So, that is a very interesting picture when you talk about the beginning and the end being bookends of this. And that's why we see a lot of the same sort of things, both in Genesis and in Revelation, and in the companion passages from the prophets that also are talking about the same time period. Whether you're talking about Ezekiel, where you have the same pictures that you have in Revelation as well, temple, rivers. Water flowing out of the rivers. Tree of life. On and on and on these things go. Because they're talking about things going back to manufacturer's specifications. The creator, the way he designed things. So when we get these questions in the midst of the despair that can easily come upon us in the midst of all this stuff. Like how did we get here? Why are we here? Why do we exist what is this? Is this all that there is in life? And if we are into something that just leaves us into despair, do we just say to ourselves, is this all that life exists for, for me to be miserable, or for those who I love to be miserable, or for those that are innocent to be miserable, being victims to those that are violent, those that are careless? Yes, uh, period, go ahead.
1: Well, it's more a question of. Um reminding ourselves that everything is going to be a struggle, that sowing our seeds, raising our children, because again, in this fair sheet, um, Adam and Eve receive all those words, and Eve, you know, there's a pronouncement about the child bearing pain, but it isn't about bearing, it's about rearing. Mm. And so I think all parents can identify that it's hard to raise children. They have their own will. And so I don't want to keep perpetuating that childbearing is so painful because it wasn't really intended to be, and it isn't for animals, or at least it's bearable. But I wanted to know if I could share a piece about um, Adam and and saying he's naked. May I read this? It says, Naked, perhaps the real issue in life is not guilt but shame. It's possible to deal with guilt. Atonement atonement sets aside guilt. If we are guilty, the law tells us what must be done to recompense and restore. Sometimes we have to repay. Sometimes we have to present an offering. Sometimes we need to ask for forgiveness. But guilt does not destroy a relationship. It puts a relationship in abeyance until the restitution is made. Shame, on the other hand, destroys us. Guilt is about what we, what I have done. Shame is about who I am. If what I have done incurs guilt, then there are things that I can do for someone else or someone else can do that will take away the guilt. But shame can't be undone. Shame is ontological. Shame doesn't say what are, what you did was wrong. Shame says you are wrong. Shame says there is nof, there is something flawed in me, something that is part of who I am. In this sense, shame is like the doctrine of original sin. When I become the victim of shame, my very being is wrong. The only way to deal with this is to not exist. Adam tells God that he is hiding because he is afraid. Why is he afraid? His answer, because I am naked. But this isn't really an answer at all. We would expect Adam to say that he was afraid because he has broken the commandment. We would expect Adam to say that he is afraid because he is guilty. But he doesn't say that. He says that he's naked, but Adam always would have been naked. Why is being naked suddenly a reason for being afraid? Why is Adam's perception of his very being in the world shifted so that what was once perfectly natural and acceptable is now terrifying and unnatural? Adam is afraid of being naked because suddenly being naked is revealing. What does it reveal? It reveals that Adam is able to look at himself from outside himself for the first time. Adam experiences what he looks like through the eyes of another. He projects this discovery in an alter ego into the world, and what comes back to him is this, you are no longer right with the world. Adam's own alter ego, the part of him that is now concerned with how others perceive him, tells him that he is wrong about how he is in the world. Since he is guilty, he confirms that he is wrong, but now his guilt becomes a weapon against him asserting that he isn't just disobedient, he is flawed. There are no cures for disobedience. There are cures for disobedience. There are no cures for flawed. At least that's what we think when we we feel ashamed. But God thinks otherwise. Adam and the woman did not listen to the external voice of the Lord with regard to diet. They listened to their heart and the inner voice of the yetzer hara. The fruit that looked so good produced something hideously terrible, shame. Now God enters the scene and asks a question. Behind the question is another appeal to listen to the external voice of the Lord, not the now screaming inner voice of shame. Who told you that you were naked implies I didn't tell you that you were naked. And if God does not tell us that we are shamed, then who who are we going to believe, the inner voice that got us into this place or the external voice of the Lord that restores our divine design? Who do you listen to when guilt floods your life? The Yetzer Hara shouting that there is nothing worthy in you, or the creator and designer who asks, why are you listening to yourself?
0: Okay, thank you for sharing that. So uh, one of the things that we can think about as we uh, look at these particular questions that face us is where do we ground ourselves in this? These statements that we have that are the grounding statements in the midst of this are right there at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So when you're thinking about where do we go with these questions, when people are saying, well, does this exist or why do we exist? We have those statements. They're not put there you know, as an if-then. They're not put as a... Well, let me argue about it. They are just stated matter of factly. So you take it or you leave it. Which is the better explanation for the things in the world? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, or in the beginning, there was nothing. And then it, something decided to become something. Which is the better explanation for things? That something communicates in existence, or that things just bumble about, bumble about without any conversation to make things happen. We see an example of what happens when people can't communicate to each other, and we see all kinds of uh, examples of when people are just bumbling about, and we call that We'll get to that here in a following segment. We call that the Tower of Babel, where they confuse the language and what gets accomplished? Nothing. The work stops. Why? Because communication, language transmits from one thing to another. So in this, we've got heaven is communicating to us and to all creation exist. Let there be light. And there is light. Let there be this. Let there be that. It's fashioned and it comes into being. So what we see here, and then in the beginning of chapter 2, where it says, and this is the account, or the toledot of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Well, we encounter this again one more time in this passage. And these are the toledot of Adam, or Adam. These are the generations of Adam. And Then it says, this is where, and we we see this coming up again when we get into the time of Abraham, where it says, these are the Toledotes. And it's more than just a genealogy. It is, this is what is proceeding from this. This is what proceeds from Adam. This is what proceeds from Abraham. This is not your printout from Ancestry.com here. This is... This is what is going to result from Adam existing in the world. This is what's going to result from Abraham existing in the world. So that is where you're getting your orientation onto the things that really matter in the world. So thus, the things that we see is that the creator of the heavens, the planet, the humanity, and Israel will restore them. We've seen these things go off the rails with anger, hatred, people at each other's throats, the destruction of the planet, the way we were created going downhill and going downhill faster and faster with each generation that goes by. Our genomes are degrading year after year. I mean, it's reaching a crisis where you see that people are starting to notice, hey, My mother, my grandmother, they used to have childbirth at home, and they had eight, ten kids, twelve kids. Now we're struggling to have one or two without complications, and a lot of pregnancies are ending up in the hospital with emergency C-sections. Something is going on here, and that is we, our genome, the language that god has put into us to say from one generation to the next you make jeff or you make ananiah that is getting garbled as time goes on now one of the things we see in the midst of this is the promise that this will get reset this will get reset and just as we saw in the passage there in Isaiah. He will call all of those. And this was two people who were scattered <laughs> for a good reason. He scattered Israel because they would not listen to the voice. We see the problem with listening to the voice here in the passage we saw here today. There was a point of listening to the voice of the Lord walking and then there's a problem with also listening to the voice and not wanting to hear the voice because of something that changed. Uh, yes, Daniel, we have a, a comment, or
2: oh, I'm sorry, Ben and I, and then Daniel. I, I just, my, my, my heart was stirred about, you know, uh, Adam and Eve, you know, about in the garden. And, you know, when they ate, you know, the, the one commandment that they had was not to eat at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And before the tree, you know, they were not aware I mean, they weren't aware, and I just—I look at that how critically important it is to understand how sin crept in through Adam. I mean, it's so important to understand that death, sin, and death crept in, and uh, I just wanted to really highlight that point. That before I came to the knowledge of the Lord, after I was drawn and responded through Yeshua Hamashiach, Jesus Christ, is that I had the sin and the stain and the shame that plagued me. And I couldn't wash it out. I mean, you have no idea how hard I tried, and how much I sought for truth and understanding and wisdom, and how philanthropic I was, and all my deeds and actions. But I want to tell you that I was nothing but a filthy, rotten sinner. Okay, my deeds were just rags to him. Okay, I just want to make sure you know. I, it was a conviction of my heart to share this. Is that after I came to Christ, you know, and I was washed in His blood, after I was a new creation, born again that I realized that all that was for nothing, is that I am made whole by the blood of Christ. And I just, I needed to share that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The Apostle Paul put that a slightly different way when about the, about the trees, that when Adam and Eve suddenly were presented with the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, then suddenly the problem came in. Paul puts it a different way. When the law came, what? I died. Why? Because then it was a choice. When the law comes in, you have no excuse anymore. You are presented with the testimony. This is the way to go. This is what the Lord says. And which way are you going to go? Sounds like the garden back there again. It came in. Here's the tree of life. There is the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. Don't go to that one. Don't go to that second tree. You want life? Go to the tree of life. You want death? Go to the other tree. So that is a very similar thing that's that's put in there. And... It's a very interesting subtext that you see under the whole letter of uh, Romans and expressed elsewhere in Paul's other letters. Uh, yes, Danielle, go mm-hmm. ahead, please.
3: Two things. First, um, we also did like anthropology and we went over this in school and we kind of had an argument. One kid was like, why didn't they just eat from the tree of life first? And <laughs> yeah, and I mean, God probably blocked it off or something, but I had the idea that Maybe it was because they didn't know sin existed that they knew that they, they didn't have a reason to eat it. The devil gave them a reason why they should eat the tree of knowledge, but they didn't really have a reason to eat the tree of life because they didn't know sin existed. They just lived. They didn't know if you do that, that's bad because there was no sin then. So there's not really a reason for eating the tree of life, you know? Hmm.
0: Now, that's an interesting thing that we'll be getting exploring here as we move along here further. Uh, yes, Ben and I am as a comment or a question.
2: Gospels lately through the I gospels? Yeah. Something that I didn't understand before was uh, the age of ignorance is over. It keeps on coming up. So before the gospels, before the new covenant, is that it seems plausible that people who abided, you know, by the rules and the instructions and maybe even people in other places that sought God and basically lived a life of love and compassion, uh, that very attributes of God's character, that that would be enough. But now that the Lord God has come in the flesh, made himself known, everybody's without excuse. There's no excuse for anyone anymore. I just, that, and I didn't understand that because people had always argued with me out in the days in times past even currently about people and all these things and i just basically point them to where it says the age of ignorance is over you're no longer ignorant he claimed that i am you know and he resurrected mount transfiguration or great high priest i mean everything that points to him there's no longer oh he's gonna come or we're still waiting or all these other things that people are still waiting for their their god to come I'm i'm like no he proclaimed it he is He's risen and he's coming again, and it says the age of ignorance is over. And I think that that's that's just so important, you know, um, for when you're sharing the good news and, you know, when you're testifying of who he is, that people can't claim ignorance anymore.
0: Yeah, it's talked about to each person is given just a sliver of trust, and that's everybody called and given a sliver of trust. Well, what do you do with the call that goes out into all the earth? Uh yes, Anne.
2: My question is when uh, when the serpent said or when when God said you will surely die, did they really know what dying was? I mean was brand new creatures that God made, you know, Adam and Eve. Did what was the word die? What does that mean? You know, it's like and then all of a sudden Oh and, and oh and then the devil says, "Oh, you shall sure not surely not die."
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other way that that could be translated is, even if you do die, that's and then it's left as a dot dot dot. You know, it could be said, "Did God really say?" Or even if He said, even if He said that, what are you going to do? And you know. The one thing that we sometimes will think of Adam and Eve is like infants, but you know, if they're talking about being created perfect, um, intellect, etc., the idea of you will die, again, trust your maker. If your maker says, okay, follow these instructions, because if you don't, it won't work anymore. Well, do you trust the person who wrote the manual to say, well, if you do this, it won't work anymore? So, thus, if your maker tells you that you won't work anymore if you do this, then you don't, then it's like you would almost say to say uh, that they didn't know what death was would also be giving them an out for not trusting. And trust is what we call faith faith do they have faith in their maker when the maker says hey do this or you will cease does this, do you trust that you will stop or do you say well maybe maybe we can hack it as they say today we can come up with a hack and get around it can i jimmy jimmy the lock a little bit and and get around it yes macgyra get the get the duct tape out yes yes uh danielle
3: i think the funniest part of this whole um or this arsha is kind of the blame game going on how like god's like who did it and then he's like adam what did you do and i was like nope it was her and then <laughs> she's like nope it was the devil and i feel like a lot of people like when they read this like even me i was like wait like why did Adam and Eve do that? Like, if I was there, I would have done that. But at the same time, we know how the story ends, you know? We know how the Bible, not the whole story, but we know how the Bible ends, how that story goes. So, but if we were there in that situation, we didn't know what was going to happen, we would have made the same choices, you know? So I feel like we just blame everybody. We're like, hey, why did he do this? Why did he do that? But we don't realize that if we are in that situation, we probably would have done the same thing, you know?
0: Yeah. And it also has something to do with why they were hiding about not wanting to face up to responsibilities. So, yes. see Now moving on a bit here to when it talks about here that the one who created the planets and the heavens fashioned them good. So everything we saw in chapter one, they were all were made good. And then with humanity. Was made very good in the image and likeness of Elohim of God, and then even going further, when it talks about in Genesis one twenty seven, male and female he created them. So again, we have a message to modernity here. There's a lot of questions here about genders and such. Uh, no, the Maker says male and female. What do we see? Male and female. What do we see in the language of the creator? In how we reproduce from one generation to the next. Genetic code, male and female. That's the only way that works. So you have a consistent message that goes from one voice to the next. So that's a message to modernity. They want to just deny and come up with a different way of how things came about and how they progress. But the message here is. No, there is a way where things progress. So then when you go back to the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that statement is just made. Do you believe that statement? Well, for those that are saying that things made themselves, they're now suddenly coming around to the idea that genders make themselves. Things can just morph from one gender to the next, from one generation to the next. Or those who trust to say that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, they say male and female, He created them. What do we see? Male and female. So that is one of those things where you say, Who do you trust? It's kind of like when you're hearing accounts of things and you hear it from one source and they tell you something, and you hear it from another source and they tell you something totally different. Well, One source is telling you something that lines up with what you actually see around you. The other source is telling you something that seems to be quite different from what you actually see going on around you. So what then are you going to trust in going forward? And then it goes on and says in Genesis 2.24 that the husband and wife become one flesh. So one of the things that you see throughout Scripture is the picture of adultery and adultery and idolatry often together idolatry and adultery together and one of the pictures that you see of adultery is that it is coming in to divide what heaven has brought together and you see examples of that of between husband and wife or messiah is these long examples in Matthew 19, verses 3 through 12, and Mark 10, verses 2 through 12, where these examples from marriage. And they are getting the questions about divorce. Divorce in marriage. What is Heaven's view on this? Heaven is saying, no, you want, don't, or as Messiah puts it one way. What God has brought together, let no man separate. Now, things happen into the world, and they're not everything goes perfectly, and things do happen, just like <clears throat> Israel goes astray and gets redeemed, brought back, etc. Israel's is going astray wasn't the idea wasn't the way that, saying that things should go. But if that does happen, what should Israel do? Repent, turn around, go back. Then restoration goes on. So things happen in the world. Relationships between husband and wives, husbands, wives fall apart. Things can move on from there. But what is the ideal that should happen? You should have a husband and a wife stay together, be a unit, a team, and then also with the children to be a unit and a team. And you see the expressions of that there in 1 Corinthians chapter six and Ephesians chapter five, where. Especially in Ephesians chapter five, where Paul is taking this into multi levels of taking this passage here that the two become one flesh and saying this is not just about husband wife this is about husband, wife, parents, children, children to the parents Messiah to the believers, believers to the Messiah I mean it goes back and forth in all these connections and there that is why this teaching that they the two will leave their families and become one flesh is a hugely important glue for society. And we see it today as a message to modernity. They're saying today, you pretty much turn on any programs and turn, see lots of, of various stories and articles about it where they'll be coming up with all different ways of how you can have households Families have, can all look all sorts of different ways. Well, sure they can. Same, same way that you can have you know the exiles of Israel manage to make themselves work. I mean, we got books in the Bible about that. Esther, they managed to make do in exile in a foreign country. You see the book of Daniel. He made do. His friends made do. But what were they pointing towards, especially the book of Daniel. He was praying toward Yerushalayim. Why? Because the real estate wasn't great there in Babylon? I mean, it was like the capital of one of the major power centers of the world at that given time period. I mean, have you ever heard the descriptions of the hanging gardens of Babylon? Wow, one of the wonders of the earth. But he left his heart in Jerusalem that is where God said, I'm going to put my name there as a center for all of the earth. Why? Because he got a great deal in the real estate? No, this was to be a beacon for the entire world. The entire world was to be drawn to heaven through a particular place and through a particular people. Now, if you read on, in we, we were reading uh, Isaiah fifty-two and or forty-two and forty-three today. But if you read on to Isaiah forty-five, you'll see a a, a an allusion that goes back to um, there when it talks about I did not create Israel in tohu tohu bavohu. Yes, or chaos darkness and destruction something that was empty so you'll see some people that will take this and try to reinterpret genesis chapter 1 and say well well no, he didn't really create things out of nothing he created it out of something that was there but what is isaiah 45 actually getting at it is a message to people in exile who are wondering uh oh. Is all, uh, are we going back home again? Is the whole thing of Israel just completely gone? Is it now just a historical curiosity? Well, the passage we saw here today about being carried back to the land. And in Isaiah 45 brings up, he did not create Israel to go into nothingness, to be nothing. He created israel to be what a light but also a carrier for the light of the world and we actually saw that in the section that we're looking at here today so just one thing as we kind of move on closer to the connection we are going to take a look at of this light coming into the world we uh, talked a bit about, uh, she Pierand shared a passage there talking about the illustration of nakedness in there. Now, we all have clothes on and you'll see various people will say, well, why? Because, I mean, true. Sure if you see from things about the materialistic world, you'll have people that will make great arguments of saying, you know, why do that? Well, the issue is shame and it comes back to you'll see it across cultures and one of the things you take a look at with this is that nakedness is really without divine covering is shameful and thus the serpent is the most shameless of creation so now when we take a look and look under the hood of some of the original language that's going on here you can see a play on words that's going on between Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3 because the word that's translated naked in many translation is arum and the word translated as ashamed is bush and the word translated as serpent is nahash now, just unpacking the word nachash for serpent a bit, the interesting thing is, is that that's a, there are a lot of things that come under when you say nachash. You know, like when we say in English, there. Well, without context, you have no idea which there I'm talking about. There's three options there, there, there. Well, Without context, nahash can also leave you with a very interesting problem of which do you actually mean? Do you mean the nahash that kind of is derived with thought to be from hissing, so you get with the big huge word that we have in English called onomatopoeia, which is a word that is means like what it sounds like? So one thought is that nahash means to hiss, and it is used throughout the Hebrew Bible for words that mean kind of like not only just hissing like from a snake, but hissing also in the way that people speak. People speak like a snake with a, uh, speak with forked tongue, <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting way. Actually, that is an, a good way to put that. They, people speak like forked tongue. They hissing at, and that's one way that you'll see nachash used. Well, the interesting thing is that uh, the same homonym um, for nahash can also mean to practice divination or to divine or to observe signs. So that's the way nahash is also used. And then you see, nachash is also used. We don't see the root word, the root verb of nachash used this way, but it's used in Semitic uh, cognate languages. Uh, Ugaritic is one of them, and Arabic is another, where you have nachash meaning to goad or to prick, to poke. And that derivation used for words that mean uh, lust or Harlotry is one derivation of that is nechoshet. And also nechet, which to go down or to descend. Also being a root related word to lust and harlotry. Now we see this expressed, <laughs> all of these concepts expressed in very interesting passage here. In Ezekiel chapter 16, starting in verse 30. Now if you remember the context of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is a prophet priest prophet to people that are about to go into exile and then in exile. So he is a kind of a bridge prophet between the pre-exilic world and the post-exilic world. so not in not in Exile yet, and then ending up in exile. How languishing is your heart, declares the Lord God, while you do all these things, the actions of a bold faced harlot. When you built your shrine at the beginning of every street and made your high place in every square, in disdaining money, you were not like a harlot. You, adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband, Men give gifts to all harlots, but you give your gifts to all your lovers to bribe them to come to you from every direction for your harlotries. Thus, you are different from those women in your harlotries in that no one plays the harlot as you do because you give money and no money is given to you. Thus, you are different. Therefore, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because your lewdness has poured out and your nakedness uncovered through your harlotries with your lovers and with all your detestable idols, because of the blood of your sons, which you gave to idols, therefore, behold, I will gather all your lovers with whom you took Pleasure, even all those whom you loved and all those whom you hated, so I will gather them against you from every direction and expose your nakedness to them, that they may see your nakedness. Thus I will judge you like women who commit adultery or shed blood are judged, and I will bring on you the blood of wrath and jealousy. I will also give you into the hands of your lovers, and they will tear down your shrines, demolish your high places, strip you of your clothing, take away your jewels, and leave you naked and bare. So here you are seeing that those words that we saw earlier all coming together into a single passage, again, as a prophecy, just like we saw. We saw naked Arum. We saw Nachash form of that in, in play, and also bush. So, nakedness, shame, serpent, all coming together here in this prophecy for a people that, if you recall the book of Ezekiel, these were people that had mixed in the idolatry in with their worship of god to the point that you see a prophecy where the prophet is told to basically dig through the wall of the temple to see what's going on inside and what does he see inside all kinds of abominations everything that was supposed to be not only outside of the temple but outside of the country was smacked dab right inside of the temple at their heart And thus, you see this passage here about dealing with the things going on in the heart. So, when you take us back to there in the garden, what is going on inside of the heart of Adam and Chava? What's going on inside their heart? They were naked, exposed, but had no shame. But then something happened. And then they were exposed and then they felt shame. Uh, yes, uh, Ben and do you have a comment or a question? No,
2: I was uh, thinking about how that when you act upon the illicit knowledge of the serpent, is that it brings shame and condemnation and death. But when you act upon that which pertains to the knowledge of the Lord, is that it brings life and healing to your bones. It brings Mm. restoration. Wow.
0: Yep. A very interesting thing as to why you end up having Nachash associated with divination. Because what is divination? Seeking knowledge of good and bad from somewhere else besides God. That is what that is. Yes. And it's very interesting that the prophets also talk about two places that are exposed, the most naked of all places, Sheol and Abaddon, or you could say the pit, the place where you have the chaining of all of <laughs> the wayward um, forces and powers of heaven the grave exposes everything you any pretenses that you may have had gone and those of the fallen powers warring against heaven all their deeds exposed for what they are so thus that this this nachash was the most exposed of all of them. Of all of creation, he was the most exposed because the father of lies, exposed as the one who deceives all the nations and exposed that this whole ruse of, well, even if God really said, you're not going to surely die, even if God said this, do you still not want to just take your chance? Maybe you can hack it. get around it, find a loophole <laughs> you know find a different way into the kingdom, so to speak right an algorithm, yes, you can just kind of get get around it change the rules yes so it's a it's a very interesting picture that we face here, so. That when we get to the tree of the knowledge of good and bad we keep seeing these themes we talked about this as we were going through the torah portions you keep seeing the themes of the two trees show up again and again and again and again which is why you see them in places that are talking about the day of the lord revelation ezekiel etc you see this, those trees showing up again and that choice showing up again Do you want the tree of life or the tree of the knowledge of good and bad? Because you notice in those apocalyptic passages that reveal the day of the Lord, it's not going to be the spiritual buffet anymore. There's going to be just one tree that's there, just the tree of life. Because why? Its fruit is the healing of the nations, what is the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and bad? Death. That's what the fruit of that tree is. So that's when we get down and we see the the great revelation of the passage of our hope, our way out of this in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. And this is something that keeps developing as we go through these genealogies these toledotes as they get rolled out from one generation to the next is that the hope is the seed of the woman this seed is going to bruise or you could say crush the head of the serpent and the serpent will try to bruise the heel to bruise the heel of the woman or the one that comes from the seed <laughs> the seed of the woman yes to bruise the seed of the woman so that is a picture that we get coming forward and you see the first example of that with that first generation when Chava gives birth to to whom what does she say with that firstborn What does she say? I have a man. I have a man, the Lord. There is no from then. Yes. I have a man, the Lord. If you see a translation that has words in there, they better have them in italics because those words are not there. So that is one of those first hints of what's coming. And we'll see another one when we get into our next Torah passage of Noah. When we see one of those generations that come from Noah after the flood, we'll see a next hint of the hope that is coming for all humanity. Yes? Oh, yes. That is in uh, Genesis chapter... Let's see here, 3, okay, yes, Genesis 4, yes, there we go, yes, thank you, yes, right, well, it's, you know, the New American Standard has it as literal as you can get in English, and that is, I have begotten a man-child with the Lord, but even with is not even there, I have a man-child, the Lord. So that is one of those first indications of something coming. Because another indication was you might have noticed that the word presence showed up in two places that we've just seen in our passage. Where have we seen those? They heard what? Voice, the sound, the call of the Lord in the in the garden. And then what did they flee from? The presence. But what did Cain go out from? The presence. The presence keeps showing up again and again and again, otherwise known as panim, or the face of the Lord, from the face of the Lord. And that panim that we see will keep showing up, in conjunction with the appearances of the Lord to people. So we will see it with Abraham. We'll see it with Yaakov. We'll see it with Moses. We'll see it with Joshua. We'll see it again and again and again and again about the presence of the Lord. You know, we just you know, take it as being, oh, this is just kind of like, You know, he's in the same zip code. No, when you see it in there and the way it's rendered, it is appearances of the Lord and with the presence of the Lord. So the message that's coming from Genesis chapter 3 is uh oh, yet hope is coming. Hope is coming through the seed of the woman. Ah, yes. What is it? Oh, I'm sorry, (laughs) Lorella. Lorella has a a question here, and then uh, Carrie has a comment or a question.
4: It was a while ago. It might not make much sense now, but um, I was reading in the book of John, and it brought to me back to the time of Moses when we were talking about the serpents, and God sent the serpents in among the camp, and people were saying, but I don't want to do that. I want to be saved from this. I want to be saved from this. God told Moses to make a serpent mounted on a stake. Mm -hmm. So even at that time, if you were bitten by a snake, you could could look at the serpent there, and you were healed. And I looked at that also as Yeshua on the cross, saving us from our sins. And so this whole thing about the serpent and the man and all of this other stuff, to me, There is a correlation with that, that's all I was going to say.
0: Yes, and that's, uh, as I call it, the nechoshet shows up again, and you see later on it became an idol, and then they had to get rid of it because it had become an object of worship in and of itself. Instead of it being a, a reminder of where your help comes from, you know, you see it also in one of the psalms, one of the psalms that we have here. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? A rock? No, the rock. That's where it comes from. The rock may remind me of the rock, but that rock over there is not the rock. So that's the same thing with the serpent. The serpent is a reminder of the thing, where your help comes from, but is not the helper itself. Same thing happened, we were just reading here, with the temple itself. When you start to replace the place where you are having the meeting with God for God himself, then what happens? Ichavod, the glory departs. You have a desolation that happens until the people get the reset and realize, well, where does your help actually come from? Yes, the helper can help you when you are in Babylon or in Persia or some other place on the earth. Yes, uh, Deborah, you have a comment or a question? You know, I was thinking that Oh, I'm sorry. Carrie, please uh, Carrie, And then um, go after the, after Carrie, please go ahead. um. Yeah.
5: Okay.
6: Sorry. Um, I, I just, when I was reading this this week, um, a prophetic parallel came that I, that I hadn't noticed before, but just looking at, um, you know, the, the portion about the fall. And if we, if we prophetically look at Eve as Israel or humanity, and then look at Adam as a type of Messiah because Paul refers to Messiah as the second Adam. Yes. And, um, and that's kind of what hit me was was like, Oh my goodness. And it's, you know, and, and scripture all throughout calls the adversary, the deceiver, and, you know, Eve admits that she did eat the fruit, but she also said that she was deceived. And, um, you know, we have to be careful to remember that, people get deceived, not because they're stupid or through any fault of their own, but because the people who deceive are really good at what they do. And, you know, but then it brings us to Adam. Um, you know, he really couldn't claim deceit. (laughs) And then of course he kind of tried to throw the blame somewhere else. But what came to me was, you know, the passage where Messiah is being tempted, you know, in his, his 40 days in the wilderness, and then the adversary comes. And really this moment, Where Adam says, well, the woman you gave to me, you know, she's the one that gave it to me. Um, And not about gender or anything, just about the fact that Messiah could have done the same thing. And the reason why he is Messiah is because he did not. He faced the adversary with the word of God. And he stood up to the temptation. and, um, And that's why he's called the second Adam. And that was just kind of a cool parallel that came to me this week reading through this.
0: Amen. Thank you. Uh, yes, uh, Deborah.
5: Oh, okay. <laughs> now, mine sounds stupid. Anyway, um, um, I was thinking that uh, while God was training the people for our in, uh, the forty years, um, training them to get to pack up and just go. I mean, they would get to a camp, and then he'd say, "Okay, the cloud would lift, and away you would go." And training us to not have a, you know, to hear the voice, not to be looking and focusing on something, you know, because as humans we like to look at something to get motivated, and I think, you know, that voice, we hear that voice in our hearts, you know, and sometimes it's true, or the voice can be deceiving because we hear other voices now more than we had ever because the, the lines of communication, you know, we, now you just press a button and you can hear anybody's voice you choose to where before it was like whoever's in your circle, and or if you read a book, but now it's 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 completely dangerous because now we can look at something and say, oh, I really like them. You know, that makes sense and appeals to our flesh. And I know why God was training the um, Israelites in the wilderness is, you know, for us, not because they had already gotten a sentence that they weren't going to make it out. So now my, my perspective is, is that whatever happened to them, whatever happened in the Exodus is for us, for today that that the suffering they did, just like the Jewish people, as a Jew, um, they have taken all the consequences uh, for their lack of obedience and not being a light. They have been hated since the beginning, and so you know, I I do I pray for them and I pray for us to be trained to be able to be tender to hear the voice and you know not and to hear what's being said to use discernment too that even when it Mm. comes from our own friends or things, to discern the the person's love and actions, you know what I mean? It's Mm. hard. Sometimes you have to say things not because you want to, but because we love each other. And we're here in this group, and especially this group, is that we are called to a higher order. We are
0: Hebrew hot dogs. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, all right. Well, that's uh, where we'll leave things off here today.